Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. It's good to be back with you after a short vacation this last week, starting this new year and a new series. We're still in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, telling the story of Jesus, but we're calling this uh, Origins, according to Luke. What's the beginnings of the story of Jesus? What shaped him into the kind of leader that he was? And uh, that has something I think that'll, that'll shape us today as we're thinking about a new year ahead. I want to start this new year in a strange place, in the book of Lamentations. And some of you are like, why are we lamenting to start the year? But there's good news even in Lamentations. This chapter in Lamentations 3 is a challenging chapter. There's all kinds of hard things that have happened to Israel, and they're lamenting the fact of of what's happened to them and what's become of them. But in the midst of that lament, there is a a word of hope, much like the psalmist. If you read a lot of the psalms, there's challenging times that are being worked through. But at the end of that psalm, there's a refrain about the hope that they have in the Lord. And in this new season, in in the midst of uh, the calendar turning over, I want to leave this word as a way of starting this year in the word of God together. Lamentations 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'm a big calendar person. And uh, I like thinking all kinds of, of uh, creating all kinds of new resolutions for the year that's ahead of us. And so I don't know about you all. I'm sure there are some resolution people out in the crowd this morning. So I want to hear from you. Honestly, I, want, I need your feedback, your response this morning. If you've got a goal for this year, a growth that you want to see, uh, maybe it is a, a shrinking of something you want to see in your life. A lot of us in January. Uh, what is it? Call it out to me right now, a goal you've got this year. Less Diet Coke. There's a good challenge. All right. What else? Exercise more. All right. A lot of us probably have th- these kind of things on our schedule. What else? Any challenges that we're setting out by the end of this year? No resolutions. There's a guy who's been through resolutions before, right? Right, Frank? Well, uh, for me, uh, I like to create challenges. I, li- I want to see growth in my life. And as I was sitting with the text that we're dealing with today, I, I was thinking about A lot of us in the room that may be in that place. Uh, For the past four Sundays, we've told the story of Christmas together. Christmas according to Luke. And today I want to talk about the origin story of Luke. Our culture is fascinated with origin stories. If you think about all these movies that have come out with superheroes recently, DC and Marvel have just hit blockbuster after blockbuster. And all those stories tend to tell at some point a story about a, a backstory of these superheroes. They start out as common people, something happens along the way, and that something shapes their background, the way they see the world, the injustice that they want to see righted, and there's some experience that gives them some kind of power to do something about it. 
But all of them are telling an origin story. And for centuries, people have been interested in origin stories. How did the world get started? That's stories that people have been creating myths about for generations. And the same is true about Jesus or great heroes throughout history. When we want to know there's something unique about them, we might add to our lives. And if we lived like so-and-so, then we might see the impact and the results that their life had. And Jesus is no different. He had an origin story that shaped him. He was born a Jew. <laughs> Believe that, right? He's not a Christian, Jesus. Uh, those are those of us who followed Jesus. We're Christians, followers of Jesus. He was a Jew who lived in the first century. With all that that meant, he went and he, uh, he followed certain traditions that the Jewish people had and customs that were taught. We'll talk more about that today. But the story of Jesus actually begins far before that. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. The New Testament records and talks about how uh, John, the gospel writer John in John chapter 1 says that Jesus, the word, was made flesh. But he was with God in the beginning. He was there creating the cosmos with God and community there at the start. And so Jesus had a divine origin, yes, from heaven. Here comes heaven we just sung. But Jesus also had a human story that shapes his vision of the kingdom. And I want to talk about those origins over the next few weeks, and then we'll get into the ministry of Jesus. But let's pray as we open uh, God's word this morning. God, we, we pray as we've sung before, God, that we need uh, heaven to come to earth, God. We, need, uh, to pr- we pray this year, along as, as we've been taught to pray by Jesus, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. God, so help us to be ambassadors of that age and that place. Help us to be people who put into practice the ways of the future in the present so that we might invite people into the kind of life that you have set out for all of humanity. I pray this morning as we are setting new agendas and goals that they would be in line with your agendas and goals for the world, and they might shape this world in the way Jesus would want us to shape it. This morning, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Mark wrote his gospel, he didn't give us much about the origins of Jesus. He starts as he's already a man. There's no story about an abnormal birth. And so as Luke writes his gospel, he goes back, he does eyewitness accounts. Maybe he talked to Mary along the way or others that knew Jesus as a kid. But he's got a story in his gospel that none of the gospel writers have. If we didn't have the gospel of Luke, we wouldn't know anything about Jesus from the age of two to the age of 30. But there's one story in the gospel of Luke that tells us something about that time in between. Jesus is 12 years old in this story. And so I want to go to that story in uh, Luke uh, chapter two in just a moment. Before I read the story, I want you to think about what it meant. What would it have been like for Mary and Joseph to have Jesus as a child? They know he's the son of God. They've been told that by an angel. They know he's the Messiah. And they probably don't understand all that that will mean, but they do know that they have an incredible responsibility. For those of you who are parents, you understand that kind of responsibility, right? You remember that first time that you got in the car from the hospital with that bundle of joy, and you strapped them into the car seat that you were hoping you'd done just right. And then you white-knuckle that car all the way home wondering, why are all these people driving over the speed limit? We'd be much better drivers if we drove with the care that we take with our newborn coming home for the first time. But imagine being Mary and Joseph. Not only do you have the responsibility of a child that's yours to take care of, you have the savior of the world in, in your car or on your donkey going home. And you've got to keep that thing alive for your own salvation as much as uh, anyone else's. Imagine what it would be like to be responsible for the Messiah. But I've been thinking about Mary and Joseph a lot lately. And here's the, one of the questions I've been dwelling on. I'm I'm just guessing that Mary and Joseph had a conversation somewhere along the way where they had to decide, so when are we going to fill Jesus in on the fact that 
He's the son of God. None of you had to have that conversation with your kids or with your spouse, right? There's no Messiah sharing that you were going to have to do. And it is, maybe it's true that Jesus knew all along who he was, and that was just kind of from birth. He had this sense about things. But I wonder if perhaps Jesus had to grow into that knowledge and awareness. His parents do a great job with him. They do everything right. They have him circumcised on the eighth day according to the Jewish custom. He's dedicated at the temple according to the Jewish custom. They raise him going to synagogue and the, and the temple. And Luke assures us that they're doing all the right things they possibly can. I want to pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 49 together. Or verse 39, I'm sorry. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to the Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. They're doing everything they possibly can to do the right thing that's required by the Jewish law. And doing everything right includes taking him to Jerusalem, to the temple. It means going to the Passover. And by the way, Jerusalem and the temple become key characters in the story that reappear again and again. Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem later in his life. He actually dies in the city. He's resurrected just outside of the city walls. Jesus also uh, had a lot of run-ins with the temple. It wasn't just being dedicated. It wasn't just this scene when he's 12 years old. Later on, he's going to have some harsh words for those who are leading this temple. He's going to turn over tables in this temple. This temple becomes a recurring character in the story. That's interesting as I think about that. This was a place where Jesus learned, where he grew, where he was dedicated. But it was also a place he had to come and say hard things to later on. And and this has been true, this principle in my own life. Sometimes the very place that played a role in your development, in your growth, can sometimes be a place that prevents your ongoing growth. You found this to be true in your life? The very thing that that raised you in a certain way, that brought you to a certain place, you've got to move on from those teachings and those things in order to grow to maturity in new ways. I could say a lot more about that, but that will be safe for another sermon. Jesus has to grow in his own understanding as well, but he starts here at the temple. Every child has to make faith their own. That's the challenge of parenting, right? Is you can only do so much. And Mary and Joseph do everything they can, but ultimately Jesus has to own this faith himself. And the story is a glimpse into one of those moments of transition that happens in every uh, challenging phase between parents and their kids. I want to read uh, on in verse 43 and following. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at the understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? That sound like any of you? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down into Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Luke is a great storyteller. If you were to read the story outside of scripture, it's just a fictional story that was out there. It has all the intrigue of a good story that connects with our stories and some of the tensions we have. I think about this story as the independence of an adolescent who's growing away from home. Some of you know that story real well in this season. 
You're in that kind of tension phase of kids being at home and them fighting for their independence. And I kind of see some of that in the story. In fact, let me read verses 48 and 49. Listen to it through that lens again. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And I wonder, how must Joseph feel when he hears those words? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? I'm not talking about home with Joseph. He's coming to awareness about another father in his life. God, the father, this place of where he'll be will not always be in the home. Eventually, it'll mean he'll have to move elsewhere. See, this story is about Jesus beginning to realize his calling and his allegiance to God is going to become greater, stronger than even his allegiance to his parents. Some of your parents understand that tension because you prayed all your life that God would lead your kids to do certain things, to follow him in everything they do. And unfortunately, sometimes they do that and their discernment's different than ours. I, I remember being in, in school at ACU with ministry students whose parents did not give them their blessing to go and be a minister because they were hoping their kids would do something that would be more economically advantaged or that would be more certain or secure than kind of allowing the church to take care of them. I've known that for missionaries. I've known that for teachers that have stepped into schools. I've known that for a lot of kids that feel a calling and yet the parents aren't sure that calling's from God. There's a tension that happens when this occurs with our adolescents. Verse 49 is interesting. In the NIV, it reads a little less, a little more tame than what it actually says. In the NIV, it reads, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But the Greek actually says, it was necessary that I go to my father's house. Don't you see this tension? Some of you know that feeling exactly. Your kid's feeling called in directions. You're not sure is the best for them. Luke knows how to write a good story. And most of you have raised kids, can understand what it feels like to be Mary and Joseph. Others of you know what it feels like to be Jesus trying to find that independence, trying to follow God's call when it isn't always popular. But all of that I've shared so far is only prologue to the most important verse, the one I've chewed on most this, these last few weeks. Verse 52, let me read this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus grew? Well, that's problematic, isn't it? Now, there are parts of this verse I don't have any problem struggle, uh, struggle with at all, right? Jesus grew in stature. Well, of course, Jesus was a baby. He grew in a man. That makes sense. Jesus grew in favor with men. That makes sense. More people come to see the amazing reality of who Jesus is, that he's got the divine and the human matched up together. But this idea of Jesus growing in wisdom, that I struggle with a bit more. Here's the tension of verse 52. We believe and confess as a church that Jesus is God. Amen. We believe that God is omniscient, amen? God's all-knowing is what we mean. But this also, verse also says that God, Jesus grew in wisdom. So how does an all-knowing God grow in wisdom? It's a bit of a mystery. It's kind of the mystery of the incarnation, I think. Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's our belief and our confession. But what happens in that transfer from heaven to earth? What happens when Jesus takes on flesh? What is it that is removed from him? What is it that he doesn't understand like he knew when he was in the heavens? What, what, what's not clear that was clear before? And this is a tension for us because we want to say Jesus kind of knew everything. But here's this verse in verse 52 that says he grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and men. Paul talks about this transition in Philippians chapter 2. I want to go there briefly. 
It's the Christ hymn where it talks about Jesus taking on flesh and what it really was a loss to him about. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I want to read verses 7 and following. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So what's different about Jesus being made in human likeness? How much did Jesus humble himself? These questions making sense to you? These are the questions I've been wondering as I've been looking at this verse. How else did Jesus have to grow? Does Jesus have to learn the alphabet, or is that already downloaded in the system when he comes? Does Jesus know about gravity, or does he have to fall off a tree and break his arm, right? Is he smart enough to know that already, or does he have to learn the hard way? Does Jesus have to learn about heartbreak from relationships, or is that just already there? But my larger question is, does Jesus know he's special? Is that something he knows just innately from the beginning or not? Does Jesus know he's the son of God? Does Jesus know he has the ability to heal people as a teenager? Or does that come on a little later? Does Jesus have the scriptures memorized at birth? Or does he have to memorize them like all the other kids in Torah school? We don't know for sure the answers to these questions. All we do is assume answers based on other scriptures. God is all-knowing. Jesus lived a sinless life. But at the same time, here's verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and a favor with God and man. Apparently, Jesus grew. And I believe Luke allows us a glimpse into this life in a way that none of the other gospel writers do because I think there are some lessons here for those of us who are called on the same pattern of growth in our own lives. A lot of us who've been baptized, who've walked the path of faith, we experience growth at a continuing rate. We continue that growth challenge and struggle in our lives. We want to look more like Jesus. How does that happen? I think this passage has several principles to teach us about that. So I'm not usually a three-point preacher, but this morning, if you like three points, you're going to get them, Okay. If you have your paper and your pad, you're one of those people, go ahead and take it down. I think if Jesus grew, it's obvious we're supposed to grow as well. And I think this story gives us some principles for growth that I'd like to challenge all of us with as we think about 2019 and the growth we want to see in our lives and the lives of our relationships, our families, whatever it may be as a church family. I want to put these principles out there from this passage for us as we look forward to the year ahead. So growth principle number one, Jesus grows because he participates in regular spiritual practices regular rhythms. Luke 2, 41 and 42. Let me read it again, exactly what happens here. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Actually, it's Mary and Joseph who seem to create these rhythms in his life, which is a great head start that some of us didn't have. In every family system, we have this ability to create rhythms in the lives of our families, in the lives of our children, in our own lives, to practice that so that our kids can see that. We don't grow without rhythms. And the reality is all of us have habits and rhythms that we're engaged in. Some are conscious and some are subconscious. But those rhythms, whatever it is that we set out to do, whatever it is we fall into in patterns, they shape us in certain ways. They shape our minds to see certain things. They shape us to be open to God and his word coming into our lives. They shape us to be open to the Holy Spirit's work of transformation. So what are those rhythms in your life right now? What regular practices, customs do you have in your life or your family's life that is forming your family? Think about the positive side. Think about the negative side. Let's be more intentional about these things. Every year at the Passover, the story of the Exodus is told. And every year the kids come and they ask the same questions year after year. 
And the parents have the, the answers year after year. And they go every year to do this. And it forms them to know that God is a God who hears the cry of the oppressed. And God is a God who liberates people from bondage and slavery. So what rhythm, spiritual practices, or rituals will you commit to this year to pursue the goals that you set out for yourself? To pursue the goals that God has for us? The second principle I see is that Jesus grows because he chooses to be a curious learner. This is a little odd because we're not thinking about Jesus as that curious person. He knows everything, right? But look at the way it describes Jesus' pursuit in verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, there are several ways you can interpret that verse. We see all throughout Jesus' ministry that he has a lot of hard words to say for the Pharisees. So maybe this is just the beginning of him asking questions. He already knows the answers to just to baffle these people that don't have a clue. He has all the answers. Maybe that's it. But I get the sense that's not what this is. This is Jesus coming to those who are wise, who studied the scriptures, and are coming asking questions, wanting to learn more, to grow. Because in verse 52, it says, as a result of this, he grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Anyone who wants to grow must show the same curiosity. See, the minute we assume we know everything, the minute our pride gets to that place is the minute we stop growing, the minute we stop learning. When we become an expert in anything, we stop the ability to step back and maybe question the assumptions we've had or learn more new information that could reshape everything. And and for me, this is kind of a life's task, a a value I have in my life is I want to be a curious learner every single day of my life. There's so much wonder in the world. If you just take the step back to see, to listen, if you spend time with scripture and see what's there, the wisdom through the ages that continues to baffle the greatest scholars of us today. Are you a curious learner? Are you someone that has lost that curiosity because you've become an expert and think you know all there is to know? Pride comes before the fall. And there's something about humility that opens us up to more growth. I think that's what we see in the life of Jesus. So that's another question I would ask you is, how are you uh, stepping into a place of being a curious learner this year? Um, I'm amazed by people who are older in life, older than me, who, who, who take dance classes for the first time, or who decide to, to learn a new language, or who decide to start playing an instrument. Like that amazes me because what it takes is the humility to step into a place where you can make all kinds of fool of yourself because you're stepping back into a place that children are comfortable stepping into. But we lose that ability because we think we're supposed to know everything at some point. We should no longer look foolish. And some of us, we're so perfectionistic that we don't want to step into any situation that we could look as if uh, we're, we're playing the fool in a situation or that we don't know. And so we, we fake answers all the time like we know everything. But we don't know a lot of things, do we? And growth can happen if we admit that and if we're willing to more and more step into a place where we step in front of experts who can it often remind us that we can be humble. We don't know everything and there's more to grow in. So I would challenge you, what's that look like this year? What's the step you're going to take to look like a fool <laughs> in order to gain wisdom and mastery and to grow as a curious learner? Third principle I see in this passage is that Jesus grows because he is coming to know his true identity. Now, this is the most questionable of the three points, okay? So I'm not going to stand firm on this one. A little bit of conjecture here. But I believe Jesus' understanding of his identity occurred to him in a process. I believe he grew to understand his identity and his calling. And I'm grateful to Luke for granting us a glimpse into this story that the other gospel writers left out. When Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I have to wonder if this was a key moment of recognition for him 
that he finally announced to his parents a recognition of things that they had known all along, but he was coming to see and grasp himself. And next week, I'm going to focus more on identity and how we gain a greater identity for who we are, for the purposes that God sends us on. But part of your growth is coming to terms with your origin story. And a lot of us have spent a lot more money and a lot more hours on the couch because we have a harder origin story. Not all origin stories are equal. Some of you have some deep pain in your life. Some of you've walked through that. You've walked through that with a counselor. And I want to just encourage you more and more. It's a blessing in our lives. That's not something we need to have stigma around in our culture. Find help. Galen would be a great voice in our church. There's all kinds of people in our church I could point you to that would be great counselors and and mentors in your life. But step into a place to learn about your past, about your origin, about your personality, about all those things that form who you are. Part of that is coming to a sense of who we are, not by our personality or the things we hold up, our false self, but it's learning to come to a sense of who our true self is. And that's a child of God, no matter what the shell looks like around it. So all the things we chase, all the success, all those things, they're all these kind of things we, we wrap around ourselves to make it look like we've to get, we're together, but really stepping away from that to come to understand ourselves in a better way, a deeper way. As Pete Scazzaro says, an emotionally healthy spiritual person. The more we can do that, the more we're able to step into greater growth and health ourselves. So there's a, there may be work in your life that you need to do. And I think Jesus in this story, I see that happening. I see him coming to a greater awareness of himself. And next week we'll talk about his baptism where God's going to proclaim that same identity over him again to clarify it even more. And you know what's amazing is Luke writes a sequel to this book. And we think that Jesus had all these miraculous powers or these amazing things, and he certainly did. But what's amazing about the book of Acts is the the early church could do almost all the things that Jesus could do when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And so when we come to a greater sense of our identity and the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit, as a baptized people who are called on the mission of God, all of a sudden things become possible that weren't before we understand our identity and who God calls us to be. So I want to push us this year into those three things. I want you to Write these things down. Think through them as you're thinking about your growth plan this year. What are the regular spiritual habits and disciplines and rhythms that you want to commit to to become the kind of person with the goals that you've set out? And I hope there are kingdom goals in there, not just personal goals. Number two, Jesus grows because he chose to become a curious learner. How are you going to put yourself in a place of curious learning this year? Are you going to put yourself in a place that you could be made to look as a a fool in order to grow to become more mature and knowledgeable? And then number three, How are you going to come to know your true self, your true identity in Christ in a greater way this year? I encourage you, one of the ways I think you can do this is through our Rooted Experience. Uh, We'll start that January 20th, and I would love, if you haven't been through it, we want as many people from our church to go through this over the next uh, couple of years in our church as we continue to be on a journey to become disciples of Jesus. Right now, I want to uh, close with a prayer. I want to pray for all of us as we're making these decisions, these goals, trying to make these commitments to become these kind of people that God would work in us just as he worked in Jesus to grow us in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus, for the example that he set out for us that wasn't uh, this prideful place because of who he was. He certainly had that ability to have pride and being the son of God. But instead he took on humility. He took on flesh. He came and he lived among us and not among those who were on the top of society, but mostly among those who were on the bottom rung those who were set to the margins and set aside. And, and he gave them an identity. And they were curious learners as he taught them the ways of the kingdom. May we be the, in the same pathway, God. May we be disciples who are continually humble, continually curious, continually in rhythm with your kingdom. 
and continually the kind of people who become clearer and clearer about who we are in Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you use. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.